Well, good morning. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and either open it to the book of Matthew 28 and then hold your place there and then find 2 Corinthians be in chapter 1. But also, lucky for you, chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, or verse 9 as well. So extra scripture for you this morning for those who are here. Um, so Matthew 8, 28, 16 to 20, and 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9, and 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And um, I'll say this again later, but just a reminder, we're taking uh, last week and this week to do a little bit of a um, topical Jan term series on worship or on ministry. What is ministry? Um, before we start back up with our winter series uh, in the book of Ephesians that we started last fall. So that'll start next week. So a little bit more on that in a second. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Uh, beginning, in, beginning in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And flipping over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then from chapter 12, verse 9, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning in the book of Matthew and in 2 Corinthians. And we pray now that you would open our eyes and our ears that we could see and hear things otherwise we could not. That you would change us such that a seed goes into good soil and produces a fruit that you would, by your Spirit, soften our hearts. The Word of God would go deeply into our hearts and produce a fruit that we would leave here changed people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're taking the two weeks here to look at the topic of ministry in large part because when we jump back into the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 next week, we will hear Paul uh, tell us that God has given the church all of these gifts. Um, and he's given them these gifts for the equipping of, 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 of the church for ministry. And so uh, it would do us some good to begin talking about what ministry is. And, and so last week we discussed in very general terms the trajectory of ministry. What, what can I expect if I uh, am going to confess Christ, if I am going to follow him? And Jesus' own words are that you are to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Which means, as followers, we take on, as well, the pattern of Jesus' life in ours, which we said last week was to leave home, get dirty, and die. 
That is the trajectory of ministry, as we give ourselves to others for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. Well, if that's the case, right, then how will we do that? And so this morning I want to look at, and it is not an exhaustive, you know, look at this, but what is the power to do this? What's the power for our ministry? Again, if the trajectory of ministry is cross-shaped, as Jesus says, to think of it of a different way, to sustain us as we run the race. Because what we'll see is that all of life, in one sense, is ministry, in the sense that everywhere we go, we go as followers of Christ for those who have professed him. Whether to the office, whether to vacation, whether to the grocery store or at home. And as such, God is always at work and in through us. And so if the trajectory is cross-shaped, what's the power for this, to do this? And so with our time, I want us to look at the source of our power for ministry, the source of our power for ministry, where we find our power for ministry, and then what God does in our weakness. So the source of our power for ministry, where we find our power for ministry, and what God does in our weakness. So let's look at that, beginning with that first one, the source of power in our ministry or for ministry, beginning with our text in Matthew, which many um, refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus' final words to his disciples, according to Matthew's gospel, is for them to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at that, just briefly, the word go there, right? It's a participle, which has this feel of, of while you are going about life, right, do this thing. And that's important because it, it's not that, that, that Jesus says to us, okay, you're going to live your life, and then I want you to plan between two and four on Wednesday to go do this thing that we might call ministry, now, the feel there is that as you are going about your life, because in one sense, all of life is ministry as followers of Christ, as you go, what? Make disciples. And the make there is in the imperative, which means that this isn't a suggestion for the church. It isn't a suggestion for Christians that Jesus is offering, should it be convenient for us. It is an imperative that we do this thing. And as we begin to talk about this, right, we recognize that according to Matthew, the reason that this uh, can be done is back there in the verse in 18, because why? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to who? Jesus, the one who sins. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth by virtue of his resurrection and ascension, and I would submit that it is this authority both over us and behind us, as we'll see in a second, that is the source of our, of our power for ministry, right? Maybe the starting place as we think about um, the ministries that God has called us to and, and if in general just the life that he has called us to as we follow him and all of the shapes and forms that that takes. As we study this text, we know that the church has its specific role in place. I want to Highlight that for a second. Um, in God's kingdom and ministry, I'm not denying that the church is given specific responsibilities to do. 
uh, but also in, in the, the theme of the priesthood of all believers that 2 Peter 2 points to, right? There is also the calling for individuals in their own ministry. They're not separate. They, they are connected, but there are certain things the church is responsible for, and there are general things that Christians are, are, are called to do. And I'm going to be over here more in this camp for the sake of those wondering um, where I'm going. But what this means is not just that Jesus okays our ministry for us to begin with understanding what it means for him to have all authority over heaven and earth. It's not just that he okays our ministry as only an authority figure can do, but he actually oversees it and he ensures its results and effectiveness as the one who has been given authority over all things. Perhaps for many of us, this is, this is you know, a reminder of things, right? And, and let it be that if that is true for you. But, but I often forget fundamental things like this, and so I, I found it to be a good place just to start in our conversation for what the power of ministry is for us. And so in two distinct ways as we think about Jesus' authority for this first point is that, our, that we find our power for ministry rests in Jesus' authority over um, our ministry. Jesus, uh, having been put to death, resurrected and ascended, now rules over all things. There is no greater authority and what this also means is that there is no challenge to Jesus' authority. There isn't someone able to put the decrees of God and the plans of God in jeopardy, so to speak. Uh, maybe to put it another way, Christians are not, right, the military working out their orders, hoping that the opposing forces on the other side do not somehow scheme a better plan. There are no opposing forces that are close to putting into jeopardy Jesus' authority over his kingdom. Let us start there. His authority is what is over everything. When he says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he has it all. He is over everything from the work that we do as his followers to every last breath that we will take. And he is not just over us, but he is also behind us as well that we follow a suffering Messiah on the way to crucifixion, as we talked about last week, we do so under his own authority, which means that Jesus is the one behind our ministry as well, which is to say it's not just that nothing happens outside of his authority to send us as his followers into the work of his kingdom, but actually he leads the way. He goes with us. He not only knows where we will be led, but he takes us there. He is the good shepherd, reminding us all along, behold, I am with you till the end of the age. And so to say Jesus is over and behind our ministry is to say that he is both, as, as we often refer to, as he is both transcendent and imminent over all things, but also involved with us in all things as one who has been given, what, all authority. Therefore, whatever the what, the when, the where, the why, the how, or the who of ministry that you are thinking of that is in front of you at this moment or that you might talk about in your home groups this winter, whatever that is, whatever power or motivation we might need along the way, remembering that the one with all authority to do so in the first place is the one who looks at you and says, go. That's the starting place. Go. 
When we stop to consider this reality, then we begin to recognize right, the importance of what it means uh, to take in the means of grace that God has given us, that strengthens us as his people found in his word and sacrament to begin with. That's where we meet him. We begin to recognize the vitality of prayer as we go out into the world with Jesus behind and over our ministry. Which means many things, but for the sake of this point, that the challenges of ministry, right, they're not unknown to Jesus. And the outcome of our ministry, right, it's not in question to him. Nor should I say is, is what he thinks about you is not determined by however you would view the success of your ministry. The one with all the power and all the authority oversees it and is with us as we are led to places we would otherwise not want to go is with you till the end of the age. The question this presents to us as followers is, will we surrender to that? Will we submit to his authority to send us in this way? Do we remember even as we consider what ministries lay before us or the, or the task of just simply denying ourselves to follow Jesus and the small deaths that we talked about last week of, of being a Christian? Right? Is it worth it? Should I even do this? Do we remember whose authority has been given to us, to, who's sending us to go and do these things, to live in this, this way, this, this calling? Right? Would we submit to that authority? In our lives? Will we go in spite of what it might cost us? Is there comfort or convenience in knowing that the sender, Jesus, is one who has already gone before you in every respect? This is the first point, the source of our power for ministry, the authority given to Jesus who sends us. But along the way, as we continue, where do we find the power for ministry as we go, right? Where do we find the power for ministry as we go? And this gets to my second point. We've seen the source of ministry uh, at the very least beginning with and bound up in the authority given to Jesus. Then where do, we, where do we find that power along the way? We find, friends, that power for ministry, for following Jesus along the way in our weakness. Perhaps maybe the place that you least thought it would be. As we look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 that we read, but he said to me, my grace is what's sufficient for you. My power is made what? Perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For Paul, in our weakness, something very important happens. And that is we are met with our limitations as God's creation, with our inability to carry out God's plans for ministry in our lives, apart from what, apart from God moving in us by his spirit. And so in our weakness, what happens? Something very intentional, Lord willing, we grow in dependence upon God in all matters. We grow in dependence upon the Lord and this is where we find our power for ministry, growing deeper dependence upon the Lord for what? All things. 
There's a natural question that arises when we talk about following Jesus and the cross-shaped ministry he calls us to. What it will, you know, and that question is, what, what will it cost me? And will he give me more than I can handle? <laughs> Heard that a lot in my ministry. I've asked it a lot in my ministry. And to that second question, will he give you more than you can handle? Most definitely. Let's just go ahead and answer that one, right? And I'll try to come back to that later. But um, to the first question, how much will it cost me? And the answer is, you know, I don't know, right? No two people uh, deal with uh, the trials or the suffering or or the cross-shaped ministry that Jesus calls them to the same. But certainly at times it will feel like it is costing you everything, i.e. this is a death, metaphorically speaking. But it is in that weakness of ours as we bump up against our limitations and the unique ways that God has created us, right, that we have the opportunity to turn to God, our creator, deeper dependence, which becomes our power for ministry. If there was someone you had every right in some sense, to give up because of the hardship and the challenges and the suffering that he experienced in ministry, it was Paul. And he doesn't shy away from telling us about it. Things got so bad that he says in our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that they despaired of life itself. And they wondered if death was what God had for them on this missionary journey. Saying, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. This is Paul, that we despise of life itself. In other words, we would rather be dead. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, just have you ever said that before? And maybe it wasn't about ministry. (laughs) Maybe it was about something else, right? Some of you probably have, though. Some of you might be able to relate to Paul's suffering Um, as blow after blow after blow come your way when all that you wanted to do in the first place was to follow Jesus well. When all that you wanted to do in the first place was be a good husband or wife, a good parent. When all you wanted to do in the first place was be a good student, was was be a good employee, right? And and just domino after domino and and, and, in a short period of time begins to fall and you're wondering what, what is going on here? Of course you've experienced things like this, maybe not to this extent, but here Paul is what giving dignity to those who have experienced it. I'm sure many of you have cried out in some shape or form, God, why are you doing this to me? Bring some relief. But why would Jesus allow this? Both for you, but and for Paul as well. Look at the rest of verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but what? But that was to make us what? Rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see what he's saying? Dependence, not upon themselves, not upon the apostle Paul. Dependence upon their strengths, not not, not dependence upon their gifts even, but what? On God who raises the dead. And why? Well, for many reasons, but it is so that we will know God in our undoing, in our suffering. And not just so we will ask him to help us out, like help me get through this hurdle. That is not the the, the point of your sufferings and hardships in ministry. That's not the point of your cross bearing. 
It's just to ask God, like, will you help me get through this? No, this is where he wants to meet you because this is where you will know him in fuller ways is in your suffering. He is the man of sorrows. If you don't know suffering, Scripture tells us you don't know Jesus. And I don't say that as, some, as, a, as a, a sort of a weapon to sort of hit you with. I say that as Afro, uh, encouragement. That only Christians, right, in their suffering can find some purpose out of it. And that is that through that suffering, right, whatever might become of me, which Paul over and over talks about in his letters, the prize is that I get to know Jesus more through this. The man of sorrows himself. And so there is a bit of a dual strengthening here that happens in our suffering, both as we know God more, but as we rely on him what for the power for our ministry. The purpose of our cross-bearing and suffering as it pertains to ministry is not just a hurdle that you will have to get over uh, as we go about the business of following Christ in our lives. Our suffering, rather, becomes the very place, the power, uh, uh, very place of power the Holy Spirit uses for ministry because suffering and hardship and cross-bearing drives us deeper to dependence and reliance upon Jesus for our ministry. Um, This gets just briefly... What is cross-bearing? We said it all last week. We read the text, right? We, we haven't defined this, and I had to cut a lot out for the sake of time, but I, it's worth just acknowledging briefly what, the, what is this cross-bearing that I'm talking about. And of course, I'm referring back to Mark 8 from last week when Jesus says, any, any who would follow me, come after me, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. What is that? And I just, for the sake of definition, right, cross-bearing is not just experiencing hardships or difficulties. And this is going to be important for us later on. So let me say that again. Cross-bearing, right, taking up your cross, that is not just experiencing hardships or difficulties. Cross-bearing is the hardships and the difficulties that come, what, for the sake of Christ. Difficulties that come out of living that says my life is in full submission to Christ's authority. Difficulties that naturally flow out of that decision. <laughs> be another way to put it. Some examples. An eighth grader struggling with math is not bearing a cross. But an eighth grader not cheating on a math test when some of their friends are inviting her to do so, right, and thus being made fun of and even shut out of the group because Cheating is not part of what Jesus has called her to do? Right, that is. Right, being in a difficult marriage is not necessarily cross-bearing. All marriage is hard at times. But following Jesus in your marriage, which means dying to your needs at times and your wants at times and your dreams at times for the sake of the other and for the sake of the vows you made before Jesus, that is. Having temptations or desires that are at odds with Christ's teaching about our sexuality or the biblical sexual ethic is not necessarily cross-bearing. Self-denial and the practice of chastity or sexual purity throughout all of life, whether you are married or not, for the sake of Christ, is. So I think it's important that we Distinguish what what cross-bearing is and what it isn't. Difficulties, friends, are not an indication of that. Difficulties, rather, that come about for Christ's sake are, and this is where strength is found for ministry. It is a bit of a paradox. 
right? In ministry or simply as we follow Christ, it's when you've hit that wall and can go no further or that nothing seems to be working, that real power for ministry is actually at hand. Likewise, the opposite is also true. It is when ministry is going really well that we should be the most alert to what is going on in our hearts as we begin to trust more and more in our own selves, our gifts, our talents, etc. A professor, a professional counselor, therapist, and author, Dan Allender, came to Covenant Seminary my last year as a guest speaker during our weekly chapel gathering. And his entire message as he addressed a chapel full of people, presumably who had come to seminary in order to either be pastors or some type of ministry leaders in the church, was this. He says, there's a level of arrogance in all of us as future pastors and ministry leaders that says, oh, you know what the church really needs? Me. And he recognizes the nature of calling, right? So like as Presbyterians, let's put the guns down on that one. Like he recognizes that. But his point to us is, was what, right? We all move into ministry, often persuaded by the work that we'll get to do in the lives of others, right? And that's great. It's one of the reasons we sign up for it. We love to see God at work in people's lives and in our own lives. But we need to recognize that in one sense, right, we are crazy or arrogant or both because we are agreeing to sign up for a job that will completely undo us. Those who take up their crosses and follow Christ will and are signing up for a following that will completely undo them. And if you're considering Christianity here, please hear that. It is not something that once you say yes to, all of your dreams come true. There are people that say that's what Christianity is. But that's not what Jesus says Christianity is. It is a place where you go to die a thousand different ways. Dan's point that afternoon in chapel is our power for ministry will only come when we recognize that we have no power outside of Christ and his Holy Spirit. It is to be aware that the walls that we hit as ministry undoes us at times or just that life experiences undo us at times as we try to follow Christ faithfully are not there to tell us that you are worthless. They're not there to tell you that you are no good. <laughs> they are there to remind us what this was all about in the first place, walking closely with your Savior deepening your need and dependence upon him every step of the way. Paul will tell us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Chapter 6, looking forward to talking about that with you. But suffice it to say, you and I do not have the strength in and of ourselves to take on that. But that is what we are up against. And at the same time, I'll also say, and I'll say it in a few weeks, we don't need to fear that either. 
Rather, the power for our ministry begins and ends upon the reality that we are what? In Christ. Which means that the power for ministry comes in our complete reliance and dependence upon Christ and his spirit as we are hidden in him. And more often than not, the place that we find that is in the midst of our own weakness. All of us are going to die someday. And the beauty of that at this point is that there's coming a time in your life where whether you are able to meet with that beforehand, you will meet with that limitation. There will be a place in your life where nobody is able to help you. And people fear that. Right? People design their entire lives to avoid thinking about that. But for Christians as we train in one sense for that day, many, many days before that, right, as we recognize over and over the limitations in our own lives and the weakness that we really have and our need and need for Christ in general are reminded over and over that what he is with you, he is with you. Even on that final day, when we are, when we are not surprised, or we know that this day is coming, but it is not the end. And this this gets to the last point, but before I get there, because what does he want to do in our weakness? And what he wants to do is he wants to create something new, which that is ultimately found through death. But even in our day-to-day living, right, as we die to ourselves, as we experience uh, the, the cross-bearing ministries that he calls us to, he wants to create something new. And That's the last point, but before I get there, just let me ask these questions to you. How are you doing with embracing weakness instead of strength in your ministry and following Jesus? How are you doing embracing weakness instead of strength as you follow Jesus? When following Christ finds you in places where your normal level of success and your normal level of self-sufficiency is not able to carry you anymore, what is your instinct? Is it to try harder? Is it to despair? Is it to blame others even for not putting in the effort that you are? Are the walls that we inevitably hit in ministry, are they the places you hear the message of shame the most? I'm not doing this. I'm not able to do this enough. God doesn't want to use you in his kingdom. You are worthless. How it's stopping and seeing your suffering, your failure, your limitations as the very place Jesus wants you because it forces you to stop relying on yourself and to depend on him in deeper ways. What, as you go about life, making disciples, right? How could that be power for you for ministry? And of course, how would this then change the trajectory of your prayer life as well. As you see your dependence upon Christ as where we find our power for ministry. Okay, we've seen the source of our power for ministry, the authority given to Jesus over all things. All right, we've seen where we find our power for ministry, which is in our weakness, as we grow in more deeper, utter dependence upon Christ. Lastly, what is God want to do in our weakness. And what he wants to do in our weakness, and this is a whole nother sermon, 
But what he wants to do in our weakness is he wants to transform us. He wants, us, he wants to grow something new, as I've been saying. And what we see, <laughs> resurrection is the term for that in, in the New Testament. Right? If the followers of Christ are called to take on the pattern of ministry, right, set by Christ, then we can expect not just the deaths along the way, as we've been saying, right, that the, 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 the trajectory of, of ministry is cross-shaped. That's true. But what is the other part of that equation for us? And it's crucial we end here, is that you cannot just expect deaths along the way, but also resurrections, right? Also transformation, also new life and growth as well. Paul clings to the power of God that raises the dead in 2 Corinthians 1 that we read in the midst of his weakness. But in chapter 8, right, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is that? That is resurrection language. This transformation language, right? God's strength made perfect in our weakness, something dying so that something new might grow, experiencing the small deaths as we follow Christ, as we deny ourselves, but also experiencing the many small ways that God works in and through us in uh, resurrection power by making something new, by maturing us in our faith, by equipping us for future ministry through the challenges that he has brought us through, by making us deeper worshipers of him. May I not forget that one, right? To strengthen our faith, to grow us in the grace and mercy of himself, right? That's the power of resurrection, friends. You are experiencing that today. You're not just experiencing resurrection when Jesus comes back. You're experiencing the power of resurrection today as the Holy Spirit works in you. You realize that, right? The world will call this, you know, sort of, a, you know, some type of like other transformational power. This is resurrection power. New kingdom inaugurated at work. This is what the church, this is what we believe, right? That's the power of resurrection in us as God makes something new out of what is dead, out of our weakness, out of our old self, right? There are a lot of different terms for it. And this is not just power for ministry, but dare I say it, it is our hope in ministry as well. That, are, that your failure, failures, that your limitations, that your sin even, those things, right, those things do not disqualify you for being uh, involved in God's kingdom. They are actually the things that God intends to use in your life for the sake of others, would we let him? And nothing could be more countercultural today. Nowhere in our culture is weakness strength when it really comes down to it. Right? And nowhere in our culture is failure a place where we say God is just getting started with you. We might say that we learn from our failures and we do and we should, but Jesus is saying, I am in the business of bringing you life out of what is dead. I am in the business of taking your failures and your limitations and your weaknesses and transforming those into more of what my likeness. So I'll ask as points of application for this point, but really just this whole two uh, sermons on ministry. Where are you seeing not just the small deaths of ministry as we deny ourselves and take up our crosses, but where are you seeing the resurrection of ministry in your life as well as God heals you, as he matures you, and perhaps more importantly, as he convinces you that his love for you is real. Right, the greatest thing that I can account for, and again, I've, I'm 42, going on 43. I don't have a whole lot of years, but I got some years. The greatest thing I can account for in the midst of my own hardships, certainly as a pastor, as a professional Christian, 
It's not that God changed the hardships or the circumstances that I found myself in. It's not that he gave me what I wanted. It's that he met me there and he convinced me more and more that his love for me is real. Now you ask yourself, what what is going to transform you? Getting what you want? Getting to stay a little longer in the places of comfort that, that we love? Or being convinced over and over that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit loves you? That you are the beloved? That's power, friends. That's the power for our ministry. This is what God wants to do in our weakness. All of the great stories talk about it. And I know we have a lot of Fellowship of the Rings fans here, and it hasn't come out yet. And I'm not going in deep on this one. I'm just going to remind you of the story, right? That story doesn't start out with everybody just sort of perfect and ready to go, right? You, you've, got, you've got some weak hobbits. You've got some annoying, well, we should say an arrogant dwarf for sure, right? And you've got an angry sort of sulking would-be king. But what are they like by the end, right? What are they like as we get to the end? They are transformed. They are made new. Right? It is a story of resurrection. It is a story of death and resurrection. It didn't happen before, though, they were participating in the great rescue mission they were a part of. Right? It happened while they were participating. And the same is true with you. The same is true with you. We need language to talk about the deaths that God is bringing us through, but also the resurrections. Not just the hardships that we experience, but the places that he's tugging at our heart and saying, will you give me that? And as a church, we need language to sit across the table from one another and talk about those things, but not just leave them there, to also talk about how is he bringing you into new life through the repentance and the forgiveness that he has given you to do those things. How is he changing you? Because this is what our God does. And this is really what, what, what houses ministry, right? Is the practice of walking with our, our Heavenly Father as we go about life, experiencing the small deaths, yet the small resurrections, as we know uh, till eternity, right, that he is with us always, right? May that be power for us as we think about our ministries and what power even looks like as we consider what it means to deny ourselves and take up our crosses to follow him. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. If we stop and think about it for a second, you you gave us the dignity of having the Apostle Paul talk about his sufferings in ministry, talk about how difficult things were, how failure seemed to be at every turn. But through him, you give us a lens that is different than the world's of what success in ministry really is, what, what, what the prize really is. And certainly where power comes from as we try to live out our callings to follow you. And that is to grow deeper and deeper dependent upon you. That is to know you more. That is to have you uh, as you have given yourself for us that we may in turn know fully and fuller what it means to be in Christ, to be transformed by his Holy Spirit, and to be the beloved.
that you call upon us. We ask that you would help us to understand that in a more deeper sense as we consider ministry, whether as a church, as individuals, um, or whatever it looks like as we take up the call, the call to follow you. Give us the power that you have promised us in yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.